All right, so uh, we're going to be uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 um, here for the, uh, for, for the sermon, uh, kind of bigger kid reflection time. Uh, I want to invite you to just turn there in your own Bibles uh, so you can kind of follow along as best you can. Um, but, but first of all, I want to start with a controversial statement. How's that, right? We're going to just start with the controversy right away. Uh, we're going to start with a controversial statement, and I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree with this statement. Okay. Now, don't let your answer divide us this morning. This is not the main point. I'm just trying to get your brain going here. In fact, we're not even going to answer this tension or this uh, statement. Uh, we're just going to throw it out there and, uh, and get you talking with one another. So go to your chat boxes on Zoom, Facebook, and just tell us if you agree or disagree with this statement. History repeats itself. History repeats itself. Go and let us know what you think. Uh, just uh, uh, music team here in the room, uh, give me a show of hands. How many of you think, yes, history repeats itself? And uh, how many of you think, no, history does not repeat itself? And not to sway the answers on Zoom and Facebook, I will not answer uh, or tell you what they answered. I just want to see what your answers are. We're, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this is a super interesting little chapter because what Paul's essentially saying is, is he's saying, don't let history repeat itself. We don't know for sure if Paul would have agreed or disagreed with that statement, but we know that what he's saying is, hey, this has happened in the lives of the people of God, and, and I don't want it to happen to you. And so Paul is going to talk about, about five different temptations that the people of God faced way back in the wilderness time, in the book of Exodus and in the book of Numbers, and how that temptation led them into sin. And, and sin ends up being this, this kind of heavy burden on our uh, hearts, on our minds, on our relationship with Jesus that, um, that slows us down, that impedes our progress uh, in our relationship with Jesus. And so Paul is going to talk about these, these five different temptations and really just listen to verse 6 here at the start of it. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So Paul is simply saying, hey, don't let history repeat itself in your own heart and in your own mind. All right, so um, you ready for this? We okay? All right, uh, we're going to start looking at these five temptations that lead to sin uh, for the people of God and, and, and be examining our own hearts along the way. Uh, we're going to start in, uh, in verse 7, and really in verse 7 here, we're going to see two different temptations. Let me read it, and then we'll talk about it. Uh, Paul says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So the first uh, temptation is the temptation of idolatry. The first temptation is idolatry. And, um, and, and what he's doing here is he's, he's going to be just given this history lesson, right? So, so he's pointing backwards, actually, to Exodus chapter 13. 32. In Exodus chapter 32, Moses is up on a mountaintop, uh, Mount Sinai, with God, and he's receiving the Ten Commandments. And he's not just gone one or two days or three days. He's actually gone for 40 days, and the people start to get a little anxious. Uh, they start to get a little bit impatient. And so they go to the, to the brother of Moses, and they say, hey, will you build us a god? Will you make us a golden baby cow so we can worship that? Okay, now, if we just kind of hit a pause button right there, that tells us a couple of things about our own hearts. All right, number one, we desire to worship something. <laughs> we desire to put our hope and our trust in something outside of ourself. That's what the people are doing here. 
The other thing that they might be doing is um, uh, we just have to remember in Exodus 32, the, the picture of God is kind of a scary picture. Um, it, it, he's come upon this mountain in a dark cloud. Um, there is uh, uh, thunder and lightning. The, the, the ground around this mountain is shaking, right? So, so this is kind of a scary picture of who God is. And so they're not only saying, hey, we want to, 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 to put our trust and our hope in something besides ourselves. They're also maybe saying, hey, can you build us a God that we, is maybe more comfortable? <laughs> and so, so, so they're tempted towards idolatry and they give in to that temptation. And Paul says, don't let history repeat itself. Um, don't give in to the temptation to worship something besides God. Now, the second part of this verse is a direct quote from Exodus chapter 32. And, and it's kind of interesting, right? They, they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Um, in other words, um, uh, they were tempted towards distraction. Uh, here's what's happening. Just kind of put yourself in their shoes. There is a lot of heavy things on their hearts and on their minds. Uh, they had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and now they're out there in the wilderness with nobody telling them what to do or how to do it or what not to do and, uh, and, and building, you know, uh, cautious walls around them. They're just kind of out there on their own. They don't know what to do. And, and that's an uncomfortable place to be. <laughs> um, they're in the wilderness without really much food or provision or water. Um, uh, on top of that mountain is kind of a scary picture of God. Supposedly God's up on that mountain. And their leader who led them, uh, who, who did the 10 plagues against Egypt, their leader who led them through the Red Sea, guess what? Has disappeared. <laughs> He's supposedly up on that mountain with God, but they haven't seen him for 30, 40 days, and that tends to make people a little bit nervous. There's an awful lot of kind of anxious, heavy things weighing on their hearts and on their minds. And so what they do is they sit on the couch with a bucket of ice cream and Netflix. Basically, maybe if you want to word it differently, right? They, they kick up their feet with a six pack and they watch sports all day long. Yeah, this is essentially, right, they're trying to just find a distraction. They're trying to take their mind off of the pressures and off of the weights and off of the worries. And so they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, build us a God. And then uh, Aaron builds them that golden baby cow. And, uh, and they, they, they sit down and they kick up their feet and they play. Uh, it just draws out the temptation of, for us of distraction. Um, to, to, to distract ourselves from the cares and the worries of this world. And, and Paul says, um, don't let history repeat itself. Don't let history repeat itself. Uh, when, when you have heavy, weighty things on you, don't go right to distraction in your own heart and your own mind. Uh, the third one comes uh, in the very next verse, uh, verse 8. He says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Um, uh, this is likely uh, pointing backwards to Numbers chapter 25. Uh, if you look in Numbers 25, uh, you'll see the reference pretty clearly. So earlier, right, we had Exodus 32. If you're keeping score at home, you might just want to write, write that down so you can fact check me. Uh, Numbers 25 is right here. Uh, this is a, a story where, where people were openly engaging in sexual sin. Uh, they weren't using the gift of sex in the way that God really wanted it to be used. And so 
Um, so God sent a plague upon them, and, and this is going to sound harsh, right? But he sent a plague upon them uh, that, that killed 23,000 people. Um, God's trying to communicate crystal clear, hey, this is a gift, and it's meant to be a good gift, but I want you to use that gift in the right way. And so Paul says, don't let history, history repeat itself in your own heart and your own life. Um, don't have sex outside of marriage. Stop looking at porn. Um, uh, don't have sex any other way than the way that God intended for that gift to be enjoyed. Um, we must not indulge in sexual immorality. Uh, Paul says, don't let history repeat itself in your own heart and in your own mind. Uh, the next one, uh, chapter uh, 10, verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. So as we kind of look at these two verses together, uh, we want to first of all uh, see that Paul's pointing backwards to Numbers chapter 21, right? When, when he talks about the snakes, that's talking about Numbers chapter 21. Um, uh, this is the temptation of impatience. <laughs> it says this, the people of God became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. That's uh, Numbers chapter 21. So, so what was happening, right, is they were kind of wandering around the wilderness. So this is before they even get to the promised land the first time. And, um, and, and uh, as they're wandering around, they get impatient. Um, they want the end result now. They want the good fruit now. They don't want to wander anymore. They don't want to walk around anymore. They just want to be in the promised land and be done with this journey. They grow impatient, and they start to speak against God and against Moses. And you know what they actually say? I'm pretty sure they actually say, hey, can you just take us back to Egypt? And, uh, and so God sends this punishment of snakes uh, to try to correct their hearts, to try to um, say, hey, be on this journey that I have you on and don't be impatient with me. Uh, the temptation of impatience. God says, hey, don't let history repeat itself. Um, be patient with the journey that God has you on. Uh, the next one is the temptation to grumble. The temptation to grumble. This is uh, uh, chapters. Uh, this is Numbers chapter 14, um, and and this is an interesting story where uh, it says this is the testing part, right? God says, "Hey, you tested me." Uh, in Numbers chapter 14, they're on the brink of the promised land for the very first time, um, and uh, and what's happening is um, uh, they send 12 men into the promised land to spy it out, to check it out. Um, two of those men come back, and uh, they have this glowing report. They say, oh, the fruit in the land is amazing. The land is beautiful. God's going to give us this land, and it's going to be so good. Two of the 12. Ten come back and say, oh, no. The people in the land are giants, and there's a ton of them. There is no way that we are going to be able to conquer the promised land. No way. Um, that they, uh, they, they doubt the ability of God. Uh, they question the goodness of God. Um, they know that they're just a ragtag bunch of uh, <laughs> slaves. Uh, they were just slaves mere months ago, and there's no way that they can go into the promised land and take control of it. And God says, stop testing me. Of course, we know that they grumbled lots of other times besides just uh, Numbers 14. Uh, when there's nothing to drink, they grumble. When there's nothing to eat, they grumble. 
when they're tired of eating the same thing every day, they grumble. They grumble when they're in the wilderness. They grumble when they're supposed to leave the wilderness. This is just a people who grumble. And so we have this temptation um, to, to grumble, to, to uh, doubt God's ability and to doubt his goodness. And Paul says, don't let history repeat itself. Don't, don't be a people who, who grumble. Don't doubt God's goodness. Don't doubt his ability. Um, don't, don't be a people who, who, are, uh, who are impatient with God. Uh, we don't know if Paul would have agreed with that statement, history repeat itself, but he's pretty clear here that, that what he, he, he doesn't want history to repeat itself. And yet, as we look at the history lesson that he's taking us on, isn't this like, I mean, this is uncomfortable, right? <laughs> Anybody comfortable as they hear these, you know, five temptations that lead the people of God into sin? Now, for me, these are massively uncomfortable because they are all too familiar. Um, uh, uh, we don't want history to repeat itself. And yet, as we just look at these five things, not even the rest of our life, I see these things happening in my own life, um, and I see history repeating itself in my life and in my heart, even though I don't want it to. Uh, temptation is often around us, and we often give in to it. And so I think it's important to, <clears throat> to, to come back and, and also talk about sort of the positive side of history repeating itself. <laughs> um, because, because Paul has some amazingly incredible good news about history repeating itself. And, and it's just those three words that we talked about in the kids' chat and I mentioned in the intro, and I'm going to say it again. If you take nothing else away from today, this is what I want you to take away, right? God is faithful. Go to your chat boxes and just type that in. I love to see your proclamations, your statements of faith on there. Uh, it, it brings me hope. It brings me joy. And so say it out loud, type it in, whatever it takes. God is faithful, right? We want to just celebrate that truth. Uh, it means that God is consistent, that he is dependable. It means that he is worthy of your trust. It means that what he has done before, he's going to do again. Um, it, God is faithful. It means that, that, that when he makes a promise, guess what? He's going to keep a promise. And so we want to look back at the first uh, four or five verses of this chapter uh, because Paul tells us some things that God has done in history, in the life of the people of God, in the wilderness. And then we'll be able to kind of just make a little jump and say, hey, look, we see the same thing happening in the life of Jesus. And then we'll be able to celebrate God is faithful and the impact that that makes on our lives as we try to endure temptation. So, so look at this, um, uh, chapter uh, 10, verses 1 through 4. He says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. Isn't that great? He's like, hey, I want you to know who God is and what God has done throughout history. Right? Uh, it's not just a history of, like, all the screw-ups. No, no, this is a beautiful history of what God has done in the heart and the life of the people. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Now, I know when we talk about somebody being in a cloud or in a fog, that's not a positive thing. Right? That means, oh, I didn't sleep enough last night because of stupid daylight savings time. It means I didn't have enough coffee. I'm looking at some of the people in the room that were uh, struggling this morning. Um, so, so just see this, right? It, it doesn't mean uh, that, that you're in a cloud or in a fog. This is actually an immensely positive thing. Uh, this means that God was with the people in the wilderness, 
If you remember, uh, just to kind of jog your memory, he led them at night by a pillar of fire, and during the day he led them in a pillar of cloud. So when it says that they were under the cloud, it's a way of saying that, that God was leading them through the wilderness. God was with them, leading them, guiding them, directing them in the wilderness every single day for those 40 years. And, uh, and, and of course, we can then make the move to Jesus, and we can say, well, Jesus was, was with us. <laughs> um, name him Emmanuel because he will be God with us. And so we can celebrate that God is faithful, which means we don't have to make idols. <laughs> we don't have to turn to anything else with our trust and our hope. I mean, this is really beautiful, right? We don't have to make or create idols because we have the maker of all things. We have the creator of all things coming to us to be with us right where we are. God is faithful, which means we don't have to turn to idolatry. We don't have to turn to anything else for hope and trust. We can, we've got Jesus there with us. Um, uh, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That's likely a more uh, familiar reference. He's talking about the Red Sea, right? They passed through the Red Sea. This is a way of saying that God saves them. So um, they're up against the Red Sea uh, in front of them, and uh, charging fast and furious behind them is, of course, the Egyptian army. And all the Egyptian army wants to do is just wipe them out entirely. Uh, they are pinned between a rock and a hard place. And, and what does God do? He parts the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ground. And, uh, and, and then when the Egyptians try to follow, he brings the waters over the Egyptians, and he wipes them out, and they are saved. And then when you make the move to Jesus... Uh, of course, you can talk about how the angel goes to Joseph and says, hey, Joseph, name this baby Jesus because he will what? Save his people. See, God is, is faithful. And, and since God is faithful, um, we don't have to distract ourselves from trouble. We, we can actually take our troubles, the things that weigh us down and the things that are heavy on our shoulders, and we can take those to Jesus and we can say, hey, you, you, you have saved so many throughout history. Will you save me from this? And we can also know that uh, when we uh, fail and, and history repeats itself in our heart, and when we sin, that we have a Jesus who saves us from our sin by his own very precious blood, through his death and through his resurrection. God is faithful. Uh, and, and then he goes on, right? Uh, our fathers were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all ate the same spiritual drink. This is really powerful, right? It's a way of saying that God provides. Uh, God provides, that he is able to provide, and that he provides good things. Um, when they're in the wilderness, of course, uh, they, are, um, they get hungry, right? Their stomachs start to grumble, <laughs> uh, and then that grumbling often led uh, to coming out of their mouths. But, but the way that God responded to their grumbling was he provided for them miraculously. He made it rain down bread from heaven every single day, right? Bread from heaven that tasted sweet like honey. Uh, I mean, this is a good, miraculous provision. Uh, when they are thirsty, God points to a rock and says, hey, that rock is going to gush out water for you. And there's plenty of water for all of them. Uh, when we move forward to Jesus, uh, we see Jesus um, 
uh, in a massive field with 5,000 men and their families. And he takes five loaves and two fish and he feeds them all. <laughs> and there is leftovers. Um, everywhere that he goes, he sees needs and he meets needs. He provides for the people. Uh, throughout history, uh, God uh, is able to meet needs and, and he provides good things to be enjoyed. And, and so, so, so we can celebrate that God is faithful. We can celebrate that God is able to uh, provide and, and that he does provide good gifts. God is faithful. Uh, it's good news when we look backwards and we think about what he has done. It's also good news when we think about the current moment and what this verse tells us he's promised to do. So, so this is um, chapter 10, verse 13. Just listen to this and the promise that Paul kind of lays out. He says, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape <clears throat> that you may be able to endure it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, now, now, let me just kind of confess to you, I've really struggled with this verse over the last couple of days. And, and here's my struggle with this verse. I've struggled with it because, because, because I give in to temptation, <laughs> uh, because I don't always see the way of escape that God is providing. I've struggled with it because it seems like, like sometimes he allows more temptation than I actually have the ability to resist. Uh, I've struggled with it because I don't have any specific examples uh, from, from people that I know or from Scripture of people taking this escape route that is there. And, and so I've kind of struggled with, with what this means, right? God is faithful. He will not be, let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he'll also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it, bear the weight of it. So, so here's the two things that I know. Here's the two things that I know. Number one, God is what? Faithful. And, and so if God is faithful and he's promised that he's going to be there in the temptation with me, and that he's, he's going to help me in some way, then I trust that that is going to be true. Uh, not because I feel it or sense it in the moment, but, but because uh, Paul is laying out a promise here of, from his experience. And because we have seen it so many times of God helping his people uh, throughout history. And so if God is faithful and there's a promise being made here, then I'm going to trust that that promise is true. And it opens my eyes to, well, what kind of escape route is God giving me? And here's the other thing, and I don't think that this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to do, just to be honest. But, but here's the other thing that I know to be true, is that Jesus himself says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, again, I don't think that's the jump that Paul's trying to make, but, but when Paul's talking about uh, how, how God's going to provide the way of escape, that's where my mind and my heart goes, that Jesus is the way. So instead of taking the way of idolatry, <laughs> I'm going to turn towards Jesus. Um, instead of being distracted, I'm going to focus on Jesus. Instead of, gauging, instead of engaging in sex outside of God's way of doing it, I'm going to believe that God's way is good and best. Instead of being impatient, I'm going to let Jesus do just the right thing at just the right time. Instead of grumbling, I'm going to rejoice with Resurrection Sunday joy. 
Um, Jesus is the way, and our God is what? Faithful. Let's pray. Um, uh, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for being a father who loves us, uh, for, for being a father who loves us too much to leave us where we are. <laughs> oh, man, some of these things are uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable as we look at the sins of the people of God, and then we think about history repeating itself in our own hearts and our own minds. Um, but, but we thank you for being a loving father, uh, a loving father who, who waits on that porch <laughs> for us to return. Um, and, and you come running to embrace us, uh, to throw your arms around us, and to welcome us back. And, and so we, uh, we, we trust today. We lift our eyes to you today. We proclaim and declare you are faithful, and you are all that we need. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.